Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host. And as always, I have a great episode for y'all. I got a chance to sit down with Kate and Henley Phillips, and they just they recently completed a uh, self-supported traverse across Australia. Uh, it's a neat story because she ran the entire way, and Henley was a support vehicle, and he did it all on a bicycle, carrying, I can't remember, hundreds of pounds. He had to carry all the water, all the food, everything, all human-powered, all the way across Australia. Um, super interesting story. I had a great time chatting with them. We, we met in Austin and met at a park and a funny note there, uh, about halfway into the interview, recess lets out at a school that's right next door. And before we know it, we're surrounded by tons of kids. Uh, they're even like coming up to the table and talking to us be like, what are y'all doing? What's going on here? You know, and, uh, we're trying to record a podcast. So then we moved locations and uh, you could still hear him in the background, but it wasn't wasn't as bad. Um, and I just want to give a huge shout out to a listener, Douglas Edge. Um, he reached out to me. He's over there in L.A. and actually does this kind of stuff for a living. He actually knows what he's doing, unlike me. Uh, and he offered to help out with any you know audio problems, basically, that I have. And this one was a huge, uh, I listened to it before uh, I sent it to him, obviously, and uh, it was very loud and distracting. Um, I sent it to him, and now you can barely hear it. it. I didn't even know you could do that. It's amazing. So thank you, Douglas. Really appreciate it. So now that we got rid of that distraction, uh, you can actually focus on the episode. And it, and it was a pleasure to talk to him. I truly enjoyed it, and I hope you do as well. While I'm giving shout outs, I wanted to also mention that Alyssa Bell is another listener who has uh, reached out to me and offered to help in the background with website and software stuff. I'm so grateful for all of her help. It's really neat that uh, this little community that's kind of coming together and people helping out to produce a great show to benefit all of us. It helps me out, but it also hopefully... Um, you'll get more enjoyment out of it as well. So she's actually in Egypt right now on a solo self-supported bike tour, uh, which is kind of like what she loves to do. That's her, that's her happy place. Um, and she's not on social media, but if you want to follow along, she has a great blog at exploringwild.com. So just wanted to say thanks to those two people. One last announcement before we get to the show. I just released yesterday a new segment of the podcast called Shifting Gears, and this is going to be Patreon-only podcast. Uh, basically, what's happening is I just found out two days ago an interview for the podcast that I had lined up uh, fell through, which opened me up to participate in the Grand Gravel 500, which you probably heard me talk about before. It's the first and the only um, ultra race I've ever done. Uh, it takes place on March 19th and starts and finishes here in College Station, Texas. Uh, it's something I wanted to do because I just turned 40 and I kind of wanted to go out there and see if the old man still got it kind of thing. Um, so I decided what, to, what I was gonna do. It was just a harebrained idea. Uh, I was out for a ride and I just started recording, and basically the idea is that I'm going to uh, catalog my journey as I train, 
Um, what I'm going through, it's uh, very poor quality. Um, it's just me talking into the iPhone uh, headset while I'm riding along. So it gets windy. It's unedited. It's just me talking. Uh, so I don't consider myself a, an expert bike packer, bike packer by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think the audience for this is going to be more beginner or just kind of getting into bike packing. Um, or if you just want to follow along and, and see what I do, um, I'm going to take you all the way through training and then actually, and then on the event itself, I am going to, uh, be keeping an audio journal. Uh, basically it's just going to be an audio journal of my progress as I get ready for train and participate in this race. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can head over to Patreon. There's a link in my profile. It's only a dollar a month. Patreon is my bread and butter. It's how I earn a little bit of money for producing the show. Um, and I wanted to kind of give my patrons a thank you, the ones that are there. I appreciate them so much. And also a little incentive, a little carrot eh, for other people to maybe go over there and check it out. So if you're into that, patreon.com, bikes or death. And don't forget to uh, head over to iTunes and give it a little review. Uh, five star. That's that's the good one. All right, everybody. That's enough. I hope you enjoy this episode. I know I did. So let's get to it. You load up your bike. You ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Well, here we are today with Katie and Henley, uh, fresh off a huge adventure. Actually, not fresh off. Why don't you just tease real quick what, because uh, y'all been talking about a lot. There's been a lot of, uh, other, you've done some other podcasts. Um, so what what is the trip that y'all just did? And when was it actually? Because I know. Oh, yeah. We're relatively fresh off this trip. We have been done since November 8th. And what the trip was, was a bicycle-supported run across Australia from coast to coast, Darwin in the north to Adelaide in the south, through the Red Center, through Alice Springs, through the Outback, 2,212 miles, about 30 miles a day, 119 days, and lots of fun. (laughs) (laughs) So you were running 30 miles a day? Yes, that was it, and... Every day? Not every day. On average, there was about one rest day a week, on average. Yeah. So when we were really spent, we took two or three days to rest. (laughs) So, yeah, not every day. When we, who was, who was uh, dictating when rest day was? Because obviously, like, you're carrying a lot of gear on a bike. Um, Did you just go like, okay, (laughs) well, I'm tired today. I need a rest day. And whoever was tired. So the way we handled the rest days... Once you get into the interior, there's not a lot of places to stop and have a rest day in terms of a, a town or a community. Um, and so we would just go until the next town or community to have a rest day. So sometimes that was, when we started out, that could have been 100 miles or so, how often we'd go through a town, and that's where we'd end up resupplying as well. 
Um, and then we did have a couple of instances where we had, we called them bush rest days, where we had covered enough miles, we definitely needed a rest day. We weren't in a town or a community to have a rest day, so we just set up our shade tarp off to the side of the road and hung out there all day. What kind of tarp? Sh- uh, shade tarp. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. yeah, shade tarp. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, all Aussies going into the outback have one. It's simply a heavy-duty metallic looking tarp yeah with two metal poles it's super simple and and no like you're not protecting yourself from any of the wildlife or any of the critters because australia is definitely known for some crazy shit yeah <laughs> no we didn't you know everyone would warn us about snakes and all of the scorpions and spiders and this that and the other but most of those things are nocturnal and so you know at night we were in the tent so that was about all the protection we really needed to have but yeah during, during the day it's it's too hot and most most critters are hanging out under a tree somewhere. Or mm-hmm. They're scared of us. The they don't want to come near no. us. Yeah. So this trip, why? Yeah, what, what's the significance of it? Well, okay, so there's my story. So I was the runner. And <laughs> <laughs> so my story is simply because, long story short, fascination with Australia for a long time, more than a decade, and just wanting a pilgrimage for myself. And Australia is the perfect place <laughs> to have that pilgrimage because it's mostly desert, you know, and I think a lot of pilgr- pilgrimages in history, you go across land that's pretty barren. You mm-hmm. have no conveniences, no escape. It's like all you have is yourself. So I wanted a pinch in my life, you know, to see if I still had it. Mm. And that pinch happened last year, 2019. And the other significance is hugely the bicycle. Yeah. I mean, running across countries is kind of, an, you know, it's a fairly niche thing in and of itself. And um, one thing that we wanted to do for a couple of reasons was to set this trip apart um, by being bicycle supported. So we didn't choose to use a van, which is common. Katie ran across the U.S. 10 years ago mm. and used a van for support. And so we wanted to do it a little bit differently. North to south, west to east? Sure, east to west. East to west, yeah. okay. Yeah. Did you follow the, what route did you follow? Is it the cycling uh, route? or uh, I would follow it by entering in point A to B, like literally this town to the next town on Google Maps and uh-huh. click walking directions and then wrote those things down on a piece of paper and stuck it in my pocket and I would go that way. And that was van supported? Van supported, yeah. Okay. Mostly before social media and, you know, maps on your phone, yeah. no phones, <laughs> yeah. no smartphones. So that was... Yeah, just Google Maps walking direction. Okay. No route whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and what about the one in Australia? Was there a was there a developed route that you guys were following? No, so the route so we ended up going, like Katie said, Darwin to Adelaide, and so that's the northern coast to the southern coast. And when you look at the map, there's the Stuart Highway, which is the main paved highway that connects those two cities. Um, <clears throat> but we wanted to avoid that. We both like to, you know, do our own bike trips on dirt roads, so we were kinda drawn to thinking about dirt roads. We wanted something safer and quieter as well. And so it was, so the route was 2,200 miles and about 1,800 of it was on dirt roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was, they're not, we never came across any kind of uh, previously cycled route. And so we just made it up as we went. A lot of Whoa. Google map terrain stuff. And uh, so you didn't even have, like when you departed, you didn't even have like a full route. You had a general idea, like we're going to go from here to here, but you're going to like make it up as you go. Well, we had the, we had the full route, but. There was nothing. There's really nothing to base it on ahead of time. Yeah. There was, you know, it's just you, beta. You're going off pure, <laughs> not like just raw whatever you can find on satellite, Google Earth. Yeah, a lot of yeah. Google Maps, Google Earth. Um, so a lot of the, well, two of the routes, the Tanami track and the Unadada track, are 
are popular routes for four-wheel drive mm. folks. And so we were able to find out some information um, through reaching out on Instagram and different you know blogs from 10 years ago, and people still <laughs> do blogs consistently. Um, but to ask questions with from a bicycle perspective, they couldn't really answer. You know, we'd ask about water. And it's, oh, yeah, you can get water every couple of days. And we'd ask about what, what is the mileage between those couple of days, and it'd be 600 miles or something. Go <laughs> you know, they're looking yeah. at it from a vehicle perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was lots of also calling ahead to confirm, like, does this place that we see on this map still exist anymore? In a lot of cases, they didn't. Um, yeah, it was. So we, so we had a we had a route, but we were still kind of ground truthing as we went along because things could have closed. <laughs> a water source couldn't be there. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, things go wrong on a hundred mile route. I mean, yeah, if you're going what twenty two hundred miles, twenty two hundred, yeah, just, yeah, just you're gonna. There's gonna be dead ends. There's gonna be roads that aren't really roads. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, so going into this event, how did y'all individually train for it? Ooh, great question. Henley did nothing. All right, I, <laughs> that's true. I mean, Which is I, funny. To say. I was in charge of <laughs> interesting because she is the one that ran, but I'm the one that came up with the route for her to run. So I was in charge of those logistics and just making sure that things like food and water happened. Um, I was wondering that, like, were you her brain kind of? I mean, yes. you were like everything. I mean, when you're running 30 miles a day through the desert, you're just I would assume fried, like. Uh, mentally and emotionally sometimes fried, but most of the time pretty with it mentally. Um, but with that said, you are right. Henley did everything. The route, I actually didn't want to be part of the route planning when we were in Missoula planning this thing six months prior to when we went there. So Henley did that. He did all the fact checking. He did the resupplies, the water, how to get all this stuff on the bicycle. Um, he did when we were on the ground, you know, all the cooking, all the food, all the Golly. all the tent set up, all the shade set up, and I will I will note that this was more of an effort for him a lot of the times um, compared to me because all I had to do was run and survive, and he had to bike, which we'll talk about later how hard it was for him, yeah. and also do all those things. Well, why why did you turn over so much of it to him? That's a lot of trust. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking about my wife being like, hey, I'm going to go run across Australia, but I want you to, like, I'm like thinking, no, this is a trap. (laughs) Two, two, I mean, that's actually kind of funny. (laughs) You sealed our fate. No, two reasons. One, he's damn good at it. He is a logistician. He's planned plenty of routes for himself and groups in the past. Like, he can cross every T and dot every I when it comes to surviving across a landscape. And then secondly... I just personally didn't want any part of the route because I wanted to go to Australia without any preconceived notions, mm. without any expectations, because I wanted a pure pilgrimage yeah. for my heart, for my mind, for my soul. So that's why for me. I get that. I, I get that. I'm actually been kicking around the idea of doing an event maybe called like coordinates only, where basically <laughs> all you do is say, you know, here's the basic gear you'll need. Here's long, how long you'll be gone. Here's the right kind of bike or whatever, you know, <laughs> and then just meet here at this day at this time. Oh, but good. you don't know anything else, you know. That is such a good idea. Because, like, that finding that adventure, like a true adventure, mm-hmm. you know, they say adventure happens when shit goes wrong. It's because, mm-hmm. oh, we didn't plan for this. But you yeah. do so much planning. Yeah. Now there's so many routes and so many people have done so much stuff that, like, to do what you're doing, I totally get because mm. it's hard to find that. It's hard I to, know. it's nice to just be able to like, okay, you do that. And all I'm going to do is like 
he gave you a gift it seems he like did. to be able to like just live in the moment and just take yeah. each day as it comes and totally yeah. you know it's interesting though because i kind of have a question you did all the planning henley but when you got there did you have expectations that weren't met or did you have a free experience like i kind of did um what was it like for you even though you did all the planning you know to your point there there's a lot of resource and information that you can research to an exhaustive degree before you do something. Then you show up and it's like, yeah, I've seen this view before because I researched it. You can do too much research to where it takes away, you know, from what you're experiencing when you actually get there. Mm. And I think I did a good job of, of not taking it to that degree. Um, what I was, my focus was food and water. Where are they? Confirm that they exist. And that was pretty much it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't worry too much about the road surface because you're going to read all kinds of opinions on if the road is good or bad it could be graded it could be paved it could be any number of things so in terms of that it was as much a surprise for me when i show up on a really shitty road one day and i yeah. was told it was going to be good and well in the route you were doing you created the route so there was still a limited amount that you could even access to i Ex mean exactly you <laughs> yeah. were you were making you were do you were making you're the first guy or people you're yeah. the first people to do it so yeah uh, at least as far as you know um, and there have been people who have cycled portions of the route um, not necessarily our exact route from end to end. And I'd get a hold of them. They maybe cycled it 10 years ago. And what can they tell you about a dirt road from 10 years <laughs> yeah. ago? You know, not a lot. The roads in Australia change by, day by day, week yeah, by with week. With all the like, wind. The wind. And, yeah. And places where there's heavy uh, truck traffic from, like, remote mines and these massive uh, trucks that service the mines, you, you know, the road could be graded one week. And then if you're if you're a week late, then you have a chopped up road that's terrible yeah. to pedal and run on. So it was, uh, yeah, like I said, it was just food or water, knowing that that existed where we needed it to, and otherwise just show that's up and smart. do it. I mean, really, that's dude. As long as you got food and water, shelter. Mm. I mean, you you know that. That's all you really need. Everything yeah. else is kind of a luxury. Yeah, you yeah. live with that. Figure it out. So Henley, let's talk a little bit about how your training and your. I mean, obviously, we're talking about a little bit of all the logistics, but uh, she said you didn't train much. Um, is that because you have a lot of experience bike touring, bike packing, camping? Like, what? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I was going for overall fitness. You know, I wasn't training, I wasn't riding my bike any more than I normally did. You know, I just commute around, swim a bit. Um, but I do think it's because I've, I've spent a lot of time outside and I worked for a number of years where my job was all based outside. Um, and I, I just feel comfortable to a degree knowing that. Um, I have experience in desert environments, obviously not Australia particularly, but a desert environment. And there comes a point where you have enough days spent camping outside and enough situations that you've addressed and, and sorted out that you kind of feel like you can, within reason, go into anything and feel pretty yeah. confident. Um, and the other thing, and Katie will probably say the same, and people who have through-hiked or done really long trips before, you know that a lot of the training happens in the first couple of weeks. If it's a multi-month trip, a lot of it you're kind of figuring out, you know, in terms of your gear and shaking things out the first couple of weeks. And the same with being physically fit as well. So we kind of relied on the first couple of weeks to settle in. And, um, I mean, Katie was running, you know, 180 to over 200 miles a week. There's just no way that she could have trained oh. in a sustainable way to then show up in Australia and be ready, you know, to be healthy and ready to go. Um, and the same for me. So we really just wanted to make sure that we had all the logistical pieces in place because if you make an error there in the middle of the Tanami Desert, like, that's just too bad. You've screwed up. But if your knees hurt and maybe you could have done a little more training, well, then, you know, that'll come with yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So what what did you have to do in terms of uh, 
what preparations did you have to make to your bike and what were you actually carrying on the bike? And then I, I guess, you know, it's kind of a long question when we get into like, what was it like for you to go 30 miles a day? You know, cause I know what, I mean, 30 miles a day with a bike isn't a big deal, but what were you carrying on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and the road surface too. Yeah. Made all the difference for Henley. Yeah. So what was that? Yeah. Preparation like. So I went with a bike that I had that, I've had for a number of years that we've done other bike tours, bike packing trips on. It's a Surly Troll um, that I've put some wider rims and tires on. It's It was a one-by setup, and luckily uh, Russell here in Austin at Cycle East said, you should probably put a handmade double up front because you're really going to want something smaller than a 32, whatever I had up front. Um, and it's a good thing because I lived in the granny ring the whole time. Um, <laughs> we called it the janky double. The janky double. So, and it, you know, it, at one point it broke, and I didn't have... I didn't have the ability to use a janky double, so it was truly janky. Um, <laughs> but that was, you know, kind of the gearing. And um, other than that, it's it was, you know, like I said, a surly troll. And if you envision, you know, any bag that you can put on a bike, I pretty much had it on there. So I had a full set of painters on the front and the back. Were you running Jones bars? I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Jones, yeah, Jones the, the, the riser front. bars. Um, what riser? The two and a half? Two and the a Mac half, Daddy? Yeah, oh, yeah. you were all the way up there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was for my <laughs> viewing pleasure. I didn't know they pleasure. made a two and a half until my buddy got one, and I was like, what is that yeah, thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good good set of bars. But yeah, basically, all I mean, I had kind of like the full complement of bike packing bags along with, you know, panniers front and back, and the rack on the front and back was also piled high with stuff. And, and it's not that we went overkill, like, it's just carrying for two people on a bike. There's a lot of stuff to carry. Yeah. And then I pulled a trailer. I think it's the Ted, the Surly Ted trailer. It's yeah. like a little shorty. Okay. Um, and uh, and the reason we chose that trailer is because it was simply the only option that could carry more than 300 pounds, right? It had oh, it had a max of 300. Ma- a max of 300. You know, there's like the <laughs> there's the the Bob trailers that can mm-hmm. carry a bit, and but you know they max out like 75 pounds. Oh. And so we were carrying, or I was carrying. Uh, in terms of water, 85 liters of water. So that's like 170 pounds just of water on the trailer. So really, certainly is the only thing that I think bikes bikes at work or oh bike, yeah, there's some yeah. other trailer brand, but the rims on them kind of look like those old BMX rims. It's like a five star like plasticky spoke looking okay. thing. Yeah, the mag and, wheel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the certainly the Ted uh, the wheels on the certainly Ted trailer are overbuilt. They're it's just a hunk of steel and rubber, and it didn't. Like it, everything else, Sterling. Like, exactly. Just yeah. Heavy. Built it's to not be gonna break. beaten up and abused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so yeah, so on the back of the trailer had 100 liters of water capacity. How much does that weigh? 100 liters, what is it, 2.2 pounds per liter. So that's 220 pounds okay. of water. And so then, 220 just in water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had this big 40 liter dry bag on the back that we called the pantry. <laughs> so whenever we had. Mm-hmm. Really long stretches without resupply, we'd put all our extra food back there, and it would go on top. Um, so, I mean, that's another 50 pounds or so on yeah. the back. So um, how much were you, do you think, I mean, do you know how much everything weighed fully not, loaded? Not exactly, but I'm I'm guesstimating, I mean, an average of 300 pounds for sure. And it, there were days where we were using 25 liters of water, so that's 50 pounds down every day. Um, so yeah, luckily... Yes, drink more. Uh-huh. <laughs> drink more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, I think probably... I think it topped out around, I don't know, a little over 350 pounds. Yeah. Wow. And that's the trailer plus everything on the yeah, bike. And, like, to be bike. specific, there was the Rockgeist frame bag that we had. And then what we call it, what do you call the back of it? That's not the 
name we took. Oh, the boner bag. Oh, okay. I think we can that say might that be on this show. Of course, okay. yeah. That okay. might be. Uh, <laughs> that could be an ultra romance uh, toy <laughs> that we heard from something. But yeah, that was like the toolkit had all the spares and everything in it. Um, yeah, it w- four panniers. Four panniers. It w- was you. C- you know, in a photo, you can't really even see rack. the bike. It's just. Right. Yeah, no, I've seen it. I was following you guys' trip. Yeah. (laughs) And I was always interested to check out, like, (laughs) exactly what you had going on and try to figure That had to be kind of fun, though, man. It It is fun to take, like, a bike and then turn it into this, like, super capable, like, what can we do with this, yeah. you know? And you probably came close to maxing it out. Like, the really, the capability of, like, human-powered, that's cool. It was, yeah. It, in hindsight, I think it's the, the thing I'm most proud about, uh, about the trip, is that we were able to, one, that Katie was able to do something she's wanted to do for a long time, but that we were able to do it bike support, and there are plenty of moments where bike support looked like it wasn't going to work, um, but we stuck with it. And I just think it's a really cool example of, we're not, I don't think we necessarily even consider ourselves athletes so much, but it's just taking the utilitarian tool that we use in daily life anyway, and just coming up with a new application of it. Yeah. And like, we use it to get groceries. We use it to go on, we've bike packed on it. We've toured, you know, the traditional setup. Um, we just done every little thing that we can on our bikes and it made sense to extend that to this trip as well. Yeah. So to say i like to think that all of our endeavors fall into like the human powered activist <laughs> because that's how we base our decisions and this trip was such a great example of <laughs> what that could look like yeah. kind of outside the box a little bit you mean just like in your daily life you try oh, to yeah yeah and then yeah. so the australia thing was just like a mega example uh-huh. like flashy let's get your attention but like the real idea here is guys if i can go across australia you know you Mm -hmm. can go across the street and get some groceries on your bike yep absolutely yeah or walk or walk yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) put your rollerblades on whatever it is that you want but yeah Yeah. you all know this i mean not only is it healthy but it's really good for you know minimal footprint on the planet so yeah, it's, it's great for mental health. It's my, you know, we, yeah, we you always know talk it. about our bike as our like therapist, our yeah. lover, our, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, our physical, our physical, uh, you know, our, our how we get our ex- exercise and uh-huh. yeah. all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's cool to see, you know, the bike is for all those things. And when we were when I was doing the research, I was, you know, I would I would put the Google search term in bicycle supported run just to see if there was anything else out there. And I think it's cool to have just another example of what a bike can do. I'm, yeah. I'm and was there anyone else? No. No, we, couldn't, we didn't come up with anything. So not only was this the first traverse across Australia human power, but to your knowledge, it's the only bicycle-supported long-distance run of this type? You are correct on one of those two fronts. Okay. The first, there has been a human-powered run across Australia. However, it's been self-supported, meaning the runner has pushed, like, a cart above. Oh, how long does that take? I don't know how long it takes. That's called walking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the person, I mean, it sure did look like they were running. Both a couple of guys, each independent of one another, um went down the highway with this stroller and okay. that has been done however you're correct on the the latter this is definitely the first transcontinental run supported by bicycle on any yeah. in any country across so, any country yeah. so let's segue into like what your experience was like as a runner and being able to experience it free from all the logistics and the carrying ah. the gear and just like i mean as much as I'm not a runner, yeah. I do respect the simplicity of it. You know, I mean, it's just you and your feet and you're running. Like, yeah. it's very simple. Yeah. It's simple to a maddening extent because not only are you in Australia with very few things to look at, 
um, which is part of the point. But also, you don't really have to think about much. You really just have to put one foot in front of the other, make sure you're eating and drinking enough, and, you know, pooping and peeing. And so, in that sense, it is a very simple endeavor and very free in the mind, and that's exactly what I wanted. However, <laughs> when you're in agony and you're in pain and it's maddening to have to do this every day, uh, it is something that we chose to do. Right. Yeah. But it is maddening to have been doing that day in and day out. It's like you've got the mental space to think about the pain. <laughs> you got the mental space to think about how it sucks and how much you want it to be over. So it's a pro and a con, but overall it's so worth it. Really, like that's what I well, thought. That is interesting. If you still have the energy to like think about complaining, then you have you have more to go. You have more to give. It's that's that point where you're like, I'm just done. You know, like nothing is. (laughs) Oh, there's been there were definitely a few points where all I could do is just lay down and stare up at the sky and cry. I couldn't think about anything. It was just this is this is the epitome of mm, yeah. How how hard (laughs) what like. Can you put into words like how hard this was? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell that. I'll explain that through a story. Okay. And I think one of the tipping points, we had several. One of the tipping points was we woke up. It was like the third month, third month of the trip. We woke up and we had been going through a couple of weeks of, well, maybe a whole month of headwinds. Like really brutal 25 to 35 mile per hour. I imagine consistent unrelenting headwinds wow. and so there was a moment it's like and the most demoralizing thing. it is <laughs> just like i'm trying to get across a point that the headwinds there was a moment one morning we woke up of course we wake up every morning in the dark before sunrise and of course henley's doing everything uh, and he's putting away the tent and you know it's blowing wind like crazy still even before sunrise and Henley uh, just like gets a nick on his head through a through a tree branch and branch, and begins to cry. And there were only a couple times that he really sobbed. And I think you ask how hard was it? It's like when you get to a point where a tiny little thing, and I completely relate because I had these moments myself where a tiny little thing would trigger an explosion of emotion. Have yeah. you ever felt that? It's like there's so much so much pent up in you that it's just it's dread it's hopelessness so would you like say to yourself you're like oh this is how hard like like you're like oh my body's like really struggling and like it's just coming out right now yep (laughs) it's really struggling because a tiny little thing has set me off and that was an example for henley and for me gosh i can't even maybe henley would remember more but there were definitely little things that set me off (laughs) (laughs) do you remember any henley gosh um she called you out. Yeah, so I, was I, say, feel like, I know. How did, it's that, like, how did that get flipped to me? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I'm like the first thing that story, came to mind. <laughs> um, I, I, I think you, I haven't thought about this, but I think you make a good point because the two of us and you, I'm sure, and others, like you've done things that you think in the moment, like, wow, this is really hard, but you still have it in you to just you just yeah, keep on going. Just you know, slog it, it. It's hard. You recognize it's hard. You complain about it a little bit, but you keep on going. But I've never been brought to tears from anything because it was hard. Like mm-hmm. this feeling of dread, like this. Yeah, I guess it was a feeling of dread. Like, this is maybe bigger than what I can handle. And I feel like everything else I've done in the past, I feel like I have a handle on it. But to be reduced to tears because you nick your head on a branch or because of a couple of other things, like, I do think that's an indication that 
this is this is tough where were you at in yeah. the trip like at what like what stage um that was we were probably a month or maybe a little inside of a month of finishing mm-hmm. however um, i will say that you were out there for what almost four like three and a half months is that uh, 119 days so pretty much four months yeah. okay yeah uh, yeah four months yeah, yeah. four months it yeah. was really at the halfway point where things started to really feel really terrible um emotionally and mentally mostly because of the pain physically and all that. So it was about two months of feeling this way where personally for me, the physical manifestation of my pain and the dread was it made my chest feel completely cr- restricted. Like uh, you were like having panic attack, like it, uh, verging on that yeah, yeah. verging on. That's what it was felt like in my chest. Yeah. 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 Whenever you get stressed, like your body yeah. starts to feel it, you know, yeah. it's crazy how like, your body is so in tune to what's going on. And when you start getting like stressed, your body like kind of starts shutting down, which is not what it needs to do. (laughs) No. Yeah. When you got to get up and do 30 miles again, that's not what you want to start with. Yeah. Yeah. I think you asked like if there was a moment that I recognize in Katie, I I do think it, I think tears are very indicative of something that's going on. That's you, you try and say that you have a handle on until you don't. And it, you know, kind of wells up. And, um, Probably about three, I don't know, three months in or so. So we were probably tw- uh, 1,200 miles in, 1,300 miles in. Um, Katie finished, a, you know, another day of running 30 miles, and she was dealing with some pain um, in her knees, and so she would walk a, walk a minute, run a minute, walk a minute, run a minute to try and get through the day. Um, I thought it was a really positive day that despite her injuries, we were still making the ground. Um, I thought we had a really nice camp site that night i thought we had a lot of really <laughs> nice things going for us and then katie comes in like you're in a good place basically. i was like oh, that's yeah. great man like <laughs> I, I know she's in pain but we covered the miles we're in a good place um we're eating tuna and pasta again tonight can't be that um, but katie just comes you get the flavored tunas uh we actually yeah we had the olive oil ones okay yeah flavored enough <laughs> good enough <laughs> olive oil and salt and yeah but just her coming into camp and sitting down in the chair and just like totally you know sobbing and losing it and um when you think you've had a really good day and you turn around and you see your partner just we got lots of kids we're in circle by <laughs> we're at a park we got kiddos in the background <laughs> yeah i wonder uh all right everybody we have changed locations really quickly because of all the kids in the background we were apparently in the middle of recess so we're gonna uh-huh. pick up with Henley's <laughs> story about Katie crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, what a good one. Yeah. Um, th- I guess, what, what was the question? Why were, We got on the topic of crying. Well, I said, how hard is, how like, hard. yeah, like how can you put into perspective how hard this actually was? Yeah. Um, and Katie told, took the advantage to tell a story about me crying, so I thought I'd get her back and tell you a pussy. story about <laughs> her crying. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to say that and feel I like know. you weren't going to get in trouble. <laughs> Inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think without going back into the story and rambling, I, I do. I I just think that we each had moments where we were in tears and we were in tears over small things in the moment, and I think that's an indication that yeah, this thing was harder than any of us, anything that either of us had done in the past, and things in the past hadn't brought us to tears, and the fact that we got to that point several times during the trip um, 
So you were you were equally having a hard time. Like she was having a hard time running. It was very emotional, very physical. And then you were equally having like what yeah. was what was your hard time like? Because you were riding a bike with a lot of weight on it, mm-hmm. logistics, like all that stuff. So yeah. um, <clears throat> the the first hard time I guess I had was not so much physical, but it was. Uh, so in the first half of the trip, when we f- when we get on the dirt roads, you know they're corrugated and sandy, and um, which is fine, and we knew that would happen to some degree, but I didn't realize how that it would affect um, our distance with each other. So Katie was able to cover much more ground than I could on the bike because the roads were so awful. And it was getting to the point to where it was affecting um, our schedule that we had during the day. And a schedule maybe seems like a small thing to worry about, but we were kind of needing to be on a tight schedule because it got hot enough in the middle of the day that we just weren't going to risk being out there moving. So we needed to cover a certain amount of miles by, mm-hmm. you know, 11 o'clock, you know, before yeah, I was noon. wondering about that. Whenever she was talking about packing up in the dark in the morning, it's like you just want to beat the sun every day. Yeah, yeah you, you want to and you have to. I mean, like, it's, you know, when you're out there in the heat, it, things start to get hot and and issues can start to pop up really quickly. If you, you know, if you let a couple of days go by where you're, you didn't cover your miles and you're running at one in the afternoon, like, you, you just don't want to do that. Um, but anyway, so because we had that schedule, me falling behind, I was feeling like I was I was a support person, but I was falling behind. I was holding us up, uh, um, and yeah, I was you didn't want to be the wink leak. Like you're supposed to be the support system. Exactly, <laughs> it's kind of like as a support person. You know, if you've done a race and you have a support crew, like they need to have your things out when you come through. They need to have their stuff together and make sure that you come in and out quickly. And it was the same thing for this. Like I wanted to make sure that I was not the weak link in it, and I definitely was. Um, was Katie pressuring you at all or was it just an internal, just an internal thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but it, and it got to the point to where I was like, my self-talk was very negative and very kind of mean and awful to myself. Um, which was kind of unfortunate learning experience that that's the way that I get towards myself in a situation like that. Um, so that was definitely a mental and an emotional state that I wasn't expecting to come across. It was that time, but you can learn from it and like, okay, I know I go there. If I start to go there, you know, I mean, yeah. every, you know, that's the fun thing about this kind of stuff is it's an opportunity to grow because you're going to put it yourself is. in positions you've never been in and you don't know, you know, am I going to hallucinate? Am I going to try? <laughs> am I going to like, what is it going to be like? Yeah. And then being able to like power f- through those things and like, yeah, it's some good stuff. Use it in the second half of the trip because it, you know, came up again, and I, I was maybe an increment better at you my were much better s- my self talk, but because <clears throat> you decided to be, yeah, yeah. I remember. I, I think one thing that played into it is that because the environment was so like there wasn't any room for mistakes out there, and so you kind of felt the weight of the enormity of where you were, and so like if you're falling behind by five miles a day for a couple of days, then you know five or six days you're a full day behind your schedule and you didn't calculate enough water and food for that and you might not see anyone who can come and help you yeah and so that weight on top of everything else added a lot all right i want to talk about the fact that y'all are in a relationship and you yes. do adventures and stuff together Woo. so katie your turn um how do y'all how do y'all do i mean in terms of like I mean, this is a big trip that'll test, I think, your relationship. But just in general, I mean, do y'all recreate well together? Oh, yeah. And you know what? Not only is it respect, trust, and love that our relationship is founded upon, but it's also the adventuring that we first found that we had 
this, we had the same interest in adventuring, running, cycling, going across, going across a town on an adventure thon or going across a country on an adventure, you know, that took many yeah. weeks or months. We definitely, the first thing we dreamed of together when we were just friends was that kind of stuff. We knew we wanted to do those things yeah. independent of being in a relationship with one another, which we eventually, you know, fell in love and got married. But that's just the kind of stuff that we both absolutely love to do as individuals and then together so that's a plus but when you go on I think these that's trips, important too like oh, that's one thing yeah. i talk to people about is like if you're hardcore into this kind of stuff like you yeah. need it's not gonna work too well if your partner isn't hardcore into it mm -hmm. as well yeah well yeah yeah at least not in my experience yeah <laughs> or, or your partner would just have to be okay with you being gone for yeah. which is hard doing your thing yeah which can be hard <laughs> to do yeah. you know we we understand each other in that realm because i understand how henley's one of his i understand why he wants to go and do certain things and the dreams that he has now like i i get why he wants to go do those things because i understand what it means for me to dream about doing those same things too sure so we connect on that however you it seems like you ask, you know, what happens when you're in the thick of it, maybe, yeah. and you're in a relationship, does it test your relationship? And I was asked this question before, and I, Henley doesn't know my answer, but I, it was a pretty simple response, and that is, I don't feel like our relationship is tested at all by these adventures because of the foundation of our relationship. It's like, I believe that everything we go through, it's all about learning, and learning how, for example, Henley talked about how he treats himself when he's in the shit and he learns about how I deal with my suffering and that only helps us be a better couple so going through you can learn how to help each other through exactly, those times exactly and we can learn the other side of each other like Henley's dark side or or my <laughs> whimpering dark side and so Henley cries Henley has a dark side <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> this is all about how Henley's so sweet he's a wiener <laughs> <laughs> but I equally suck you know I'm just I, like, I'm giving no, I'm not saying you suck Henley. I just you know no I mean obviously we not. learn about each other yeah, and so yeah I don't feel like our relationship has ever been tested Actually. That's a great way to look at it. I mean, you it's like anything in life, right? You can let it build you up or break you yeah. down. You can choose to like let a, a negative yeah. experience or something like get get you down or you'd be like, all right, yeah. I'll learn from that. I'll do better. You uh -huh. know, I'll, I will say it's super heartbreaking. Super is a dumb word. It's really, really is a dumb word, too. <laughs> very, very. It's heartbreaking. Oh. It was heartbreaking yeah. to see your spouse your loved one go through that kind of pain yeah and for me particularly like knowing that he was out here on my on my account you know just to support something i wanted to do so when you go through the tests as a couple it's hard to see each other suffer and be tested but at the end of the day it's definitely valuable how uh, how did you pitch this idea to henley was it was it like a ah! It, would it be abnormal for you to be like, hey, I want to run across Australia. Will you ride your bike? Like, how did that come up and how did he respond to it? It wasn't my idea. Oh. <laughs> no, the, the, the bike wasn't her yeah, idea. Yeah. The run was something, even before I met him, I knew I wanted to do. So he was a perfect adventure partner at the time. Again, we were just friends and I wanted him to be along. And so he suggested. Yeah, I suggested the bike um, because... The story is that I had been on a uh, my first bike trip, my first bike tour, 
and I had put two panniers on the <laughs> back and I made it work and I thought, well, if I need to support two people on a bike, I know that a bike can carry <laughs> four panniers, so I'll <laughs> multiply times two and that'll be enough stuff. <laughs> um, obviously, that's not how it turned out to be in terms yeah. of everything that I carried, but um, I was just really excited and jazzed about bike touring and I thought that it would it would work well mm-hmm. um, but that was well before we had even looked into a route to know how isolated it was why and not how much p- pitch a you both ride bikes though um across Australia yeah heck no the dream the dream no. for Katie for yeah a decade was always to run okay yeah, yeah. all right yeah, okay yeah. but you know we so she had the dream to do it <coughs> excuse me and then you had the idea to use the bike as a way to support yeah. it. Yeah. It I was gotcha. always it was always a run across Australia. That was the only way I was going to go across Australia. Why? Why was that important? Because because I've been a runner my whole life since middle school and I know that running has brought me to levels that I was looking to tap into again at this point in my life, you know, and running just really helps me to see who I am and I know it pretty intimately i know the sport intimately i i know myself intimately when i run and so um but you know with that said we we love cycling across lands yeah but this was first and foremost for you is special like yeah. you're coming home is like the run it's yeah that's like where you live or right yeah and yeah. Al- cool. also because because this idea had been in your mind for so long and you've done other running things and mm-hmm. in years past you've tested yourself you've measured yourself but it had been a few years a few years since she had done anything like that yeah and we had just read scott jurek's book about his run on the appalachian trail we had just watched free solo and so we were seeing these examples of people who have they their identity is based on this one thing that they do and they do it really well and katie was like that and is like that to a degree but it had been a while since she had tested herself to see if she could Mm -hmm. you know run across a country you know another country and so yeah you just want to be like Am I still a badass? Yeah, do I still have That's it? That's exactly it. That's why Scott Jurek ran across, ran the AT, and in a sense, you know, free solo guy, Alex Honnold, just, he had this thing he tried once. He didn't think it was the right time for him, but yet he didn't let it die. He tried again. So those, those two sentiments combined made a perfect storm for wanting to do this finally last year. Yeah. Was there any point on the trip where you were afraid it wasn't going to happen, either through an injury or something? Yeah. That yeah, definitely. Okay, so when we left Alice Springs, so this is the halfway point, it was really kind of all of a sudden my knees really started to not be good. <laughs> and so that's why Henley mentioned I was walking all the miles for a couple of days and then over the next three weeks tried to get back running at least for half the miles. And so things became really um, emotionally and mentally hard because of the risk associated with not finishing what you started. So, and that risk, of course, you know, you you don't want to come home with your tail behind your legs. And so I definitely wanted to quit. I definitely wanted to entertain getting on a bicycle or to at least finish this thing human powered. Hmm. However, at the end of the day, neither of us quit even though we really, I really, really wanted to. So. Was Henley talking you through it? Yeah, he was. I, I, I think the, we, we were lucky in that we never had low moments at the same time, like really low moments. I think yeah. if that had been the case, we could have, we could have rationalized it. Oh, you know, we can go home. Maybe, you know, to use a term that you like tail between your legs, but yeah. we'll spin it in a positive light. We probably, if uh-huh. we were in, both in a low point, could have 
use that rationale and be like, yeah. all right, we'll pack yeah. it up and, and leave. But luckily, whenever one person was really low, the other person was like, there's no freaking way I'm going to not run across or there's no way I'm not yeah. going to. I've already pedaled 1,500 miles. I'm going to yeah. do the whole damn thing. Yeah, yeah. It usually just takes a voice of reason. And sometimes, you, sh- you know, <laughs> on, on solo right. stuff, it has to be your own. Right. But it's interesting how you, almost everybody comes to a point like that and they're like, I just want to quit. I'm looking for an excuse to quit. Where is my excuse? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we started um, when, we, when we very first began, and it was hard from the very first week, we were thinking about Adelaide, the finish, you know, that was 2,000 miles away, mm. and it just felt this really big, looming thing. And um, it probably took us a month before we realized all we have to do every day and in the moments when they're really hard is just make the next best decision and then see it through and then carry on from there. So I think in those low moments, if you allow yourself to freak out about the fact that you still have 900 miles to run, you you could find yourself making the decision that you don't want to. Um, At what point were you all like, okay, we got this shit? Like you were oh. pretty confident when you're like, we're definitely going to make it. I, mm. Okay, you go. Okay, I'm going to go. It was day 32-ish. We had just done... Yeah, we wish just went through a month. The first month was initiation. It was super hard. Um, and then, you know, bearing the weight of thinking you have to do it for another three months. However, we got to a small Aboriginal community called Lajamanu, which was kind of in sync with the beginning of the dirt road. And this was when I realized all I needed was a couple of days of rest to get over, to get over my shit and then put on a literally a brand new pair of shoes and get back on the ground so that second month i found my rhythm while henley was swearing at himself across corrugations but we found our rhythm together and i felt 100 percent like i i could do this mm-hmm. and then after alice springs took another break got the right mindset again and it's like i am 100 percent able to do this i know my body can do this and ironically right after that of having you know, that confidence, that's when the shit hit the fan. And lots of things happened all at the same time to really demoralize us. We thought we thought the first half of the trip was kind of like the crux of the trip because we had this one really massive 17-day stretch of no resupply, no town, no nothing. And we thought if we can get through that without something breaking and us being stranded or without us miscalculating food and water, that we'll be okay. Um, and so when we, when we left Alice Springs, we were like, all right, we have a lot of miles left, but we feel pretty good because we've just gone yeah. through a lot. And like Katie said, it got much more difficult in the second half. And there were certainly moments that it felt like maybe not that the whole trip would be over, but that maybe we'd have to hitch a ride and go hang out somewhere and rest for a week because we're just exhausted. Maybe we got to scrap the bike and buy a, buy a rent or somehow find a vehicle to support. There are other times where we thought we we're going to have to modify it to some degree. Oh, interesting. Uh, but we weren't. Henley would never be willing and I certainly would never be willing to change out the bicycle for a car we talked about it quite a bit (laughs) but at the end of the day there's no way in heck we were going to go that route yeah that would be we would feel ashamed of that yeah there'd be an asterisk a big asterisk Uh, like the first ever trans mostly supported supported. (laughs) mostly by bike started out did really well almost all the way by bike (laughs) a real solid effort how many rest days did you have do you know or like a a percentage yeah Mm, i think there were it was about a month worth of rest days okay Mm -hmm. so is a three to one is like three days going and one rest day almost yep exactly okay we we ended up taking more rest days than we 
had planned, um, which means that we ended up being in the hotter part of the country later than we should have been. Um, we, what did we think initially? Ninety days. Yeah. We we, luckily that seventeen day stretch that I mentioned, we massively days, yeah. miscalculated some distance and some mileage and resupply, <laughs> and luckily we checked it right before we left the last town to realize we're off by a handful of days and there wouldn't have been any way to recover from that. Um, How do you take off four months from life? Like, what do y'all do hmm. that allows you to be able to do that? <laughs> uh, I quit my job, so I was... Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that has always been what I've done for a trip. So you just have to say bye. Um, but you I was... You work, you save, and then you... Yeah, leave. work and save, and then leave, and then... Uh, but yeah, I was in. Do you social, tell your employers that you're like, I'm only here until the <laughs> next adventure. Um, <laughs> don't let it, don't it, let them listen to this episode. Yeah, like, oh, I see yeah. a trend with this one. <laughs> <laughs> There's like I a know. three month gap in between oh, each no. employee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, maybe if they looked harder, they'd yeah, <laughs> they'd realize something's up. Oh, that's funny. What about you, Katie? Yes. So we're in Austin now, and we call Missoula, Montana, home base. However, in both locations, I have a soup business. Soup delivery by bicycle company called oh. Hot Love Soup. Okay. And that's about nine years old now, or eight or nine years old. And so just that's something that can continue to run without me being on the ground. Just there's an associate in here in Austin and an associate in Missoula. Oh, cool. So just I leave and I make sure that that associate is completely set up to run the business and cook um, while I'm gone. All right, pitch that. It's hot soup. What was it? <laughs> it is hot love soup. Hot love soup. Yeah. So dot com at. Oh sure, yeah. Hot all love that stuff. soup right. dot com. If, if you're you in want... Austin or in Missoula, Montana. Oh yeah, yeah. It's really good soup beef. weather in Montana right now. Ooh yeah, baby. Oh, you want get this you some stuff. clam chowder. What what's your best selling well, soup? So everything is based around like buying local, as zero waste as possible. We were used glass jars. Yeah. It's just super fresh. I say super again. Super. <laughs> very, very <laughs> fresh stuff. And all this stuff goes into a pot completely by scratch. It's the best soup you ever eat in your life. I stand by that. And Butternut bison chili. Oh, yeah. Butternut bison chili. Oh, it's got awesome. a little cocoa powder in it. Okay. For chocolate, if you yeah. want. But anyway, yeah. I think. Um, cool. That, that, delivered by bike. <clears throat> like it. Back to your question on how we make it work you know in terms of taking off work i think we it's important to say that we fundraised a good bit for this trip so whenever katie made the decision that she wanted to do this next which was i think we turned it around in eight months um we didn't have the personal savings to do it and so we fundraised and so there's a lot of people that we have to thank for that um and thank you thank you thank you yeah anyone you can thank someone oh man well it was lots of you know it, was a lot it like of, a gofundme type thing or yeah, uh, yeah we had gofundme GoFundMe. there's like close family and friends I got you. Um, there's over 200 people who donated something and all those faces and relationships yeah. and people that's another thing that'll like, yeah. keep you going is like when you're out there you're like i can't let those yeah. people yeah, down exactly. Like, exactly i'm here yeah. on their dime yeah i know yeah. Yeah, that's I, cool though. It, it is, and on the yeah. flip side, it's so great whenever the community is supportive of yeah. people's uh, adventures. Yeah. I, I would encourage more people to consider because everyone has their own, you know, network of friends and family that would be willing to. If you've got something that you want to do, and if the money is the thing that's keeping you from doing it, yeah, a lot of people are really gracious with their money and support with, you know, support of someone, yeah. support of you. So, I think it was helpful for us for sure. Sure was. And we Just we did put some of our own personal savings in it, but yeah. we w- 
we were afraid that if we just waited to do it when we could financially, that it would be two or three years and who knows what would have come up. Yeah. In between that. You know, I want to say one thing is that sure. we actually do do a particular kind of fundraiser every for every single trip we've ever done and will do, I imagine, is we both we have these homemade energy balls that are also very nutritious and very healthy, low sugar. <laughs> But they're good juju energy balls, and so we've done we've done multiple sales of those. And so you raise that. funds by selling them. Yeah, we raise funds by selling our balls. Yeah. Fifty <laughs> <laughs> balls. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good I, it's one. Great, that's a really, great marketing strategy. Buy our balls. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's just. Isn't it true, right, that so often people have an idea and they've got everything they need except for the money to buy the plane ticket there to yeah. buy their food there? Like, there's. There are a lot of really creative ways that you can fundraise a little bit of money to do yeah. Well, the nice thing about what y'all are doing is it is very low cost. I mean, there's so many more. I mean, sure. you're not driving luxury sports cars across Italy or something. Right, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you just, like, the cost to do something super epic, like four months. Uh, do y'all want to say how much it costs to do? Yeah. You did the numbers. Yeah. 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 I mean, it costs about $12,000 for all every single cent we spent towards this and that it's including airfare visas and bike, yeah. bike oh, stuff that we gosh, weren't expecting of, that's yeah. crazy that yeah. is expensive yeah i mean just expensive. to ride your bike and live off your bike it's still 12 grand yeah wow. yeah yeah actually it was more like 10 grand because still, yeah. we that was it was 10 grand for about to do the trip yeah and the other 2000 is more like what we personally spent on other things. Um, Check with Australia, it's the other side of the world, flights are expensive, right. all your bike, you know, we probably spent close to a thousand bucks just in bike fees, getting stuff right. to and from. Yeah, and bike fees, gosh. All those bike things. Bike mechanics, bike shop fees. When, yeah. did, when did y'all wrap up? Actually, first, let's start, what was it like to finish? We gotta talk about the finish. Uh, so what was that like coming in after four months? Well, the finish, we had three three days outside of Adelaide. You start seeing the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were, the camping in Australia is just wonderful because there are no fences anywhere really in the interior. Mm-hmm. There's no, no one cares if you're out there camping. So we just hit 30 miles and camp. Well, when we got closer to Adelaide, you start seeing you're hemmed in on, with fences on either side of the road. You're sleeping in awkward places. You have traffic, you have a train. So we were starting to see, like, mm-hmm. we're getting closer to the city. It's not as, the experience was, it just totally changed. Um, and that was, it would have been a little nicer to just, you know, bam, be done and we're in <laughs> Adelaide. But we had three days of, like, slowly getting into traffic and all these other things. And then the last day, again, the wind, the wind was a constant. Even on the last day, there was a, what were they calling it? A polar, polar surge. surge. Polar surge from Antarctica was like oh, blowing a headwind. Really? Oh my. So there was, it Head was just rain, cold, windy, rainy. We had a flat <laughs> tire on the last day, which, you know, is my rear tire and it just wouldn't seal. And to take the tire off, I had to take off the panniers, the trailer. I just didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to do all that work. I just wanted to seal and it didn't. Um, oh, that's so frustrating. Like I'm so close. I know. Like, <laughs> it's just ironic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it, it was actually a bit of a, I don't know, a frustrating and uh, it wasn't the finished day that we probably had envisioned for ourselves. Was there a big fanfare like when you finished? Uh... There were about 20 people. My parents flew in from Chicago, where I'm from and where they still live. Um, they kind of surprised us by telling us three weeks before, we're coming, we're going to see your finish. So they were there and then about you know 20 other people who friends 
contacts who we met along the way even or um who happened to live in adelaide yeah so yeah there were people there you know expecting us at five o'clock was there like news crew that were like following you guys i mean not following you on your journey but Mm. they didn't even know that y'all were doing it it's a good question i don't know who knew in terms of the media but it's interesting because we were told that in order to be to have coverage for like a bike ride across something or a run across something at least in Australia, you got to be associated with raising monies for a charity. And so we were pretty disheartened and disappointed by that because even though we didn't raise money for a charity, our story is sure worth telling because of Yeah, you traverse so the entire country of Australia. I Which mean, most Australians will tell you, we, we don't even go to the, the interior. Like, you know, we, we're almost like yeah. reporters coming, coming out of the What's interior. Like? What's it like out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we even had people, no, no joke, white Australians, when we were speaking to them after the fact, that wanted to know... You know, we went through Aboriginal communities. They want to know, what's it like there? Like, were they nice? You know, I was like, we didn't go to a foreign country. We were in your own country. <laughs> like, you can go and see it for yourself, but yeah, it's that's not, crazy. not a place they'd I visit. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's wild that they, they wouldn't, like, a news crew wouldn't be like, yeah, I guess we should, like, go over there and yeah. <laughs> interview them. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, oh, well. Oh, well. We're well, here now hey, with Bikes or Death. Bikes, that's or, death. Yeah. bikes or Death is global. We're in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. We've interviewed, or I've interviewed a uh, Cary State that's based there in Australia with Kayla. Did you go to Australia? No. no oh, no, oh no. okay. No, I'm, I don't, that's a long You didn't get a comp flight. flight over to do the interview? No, yeah. no, no, no. If, uh, Carrie, if you want to fly me in for the next one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> We're do, I'm actually interviewing him on Sunday, uh, cool. this Sunday. We're doing what? another one. Yeah. Cool. He had a funny story. Carrie's <clears throat> uh, a hilarious guy, and he was uh, coming on the <laughs> podcast, and he, he was in a bike shop, and this guy at the bike shop was like, hey, you know, there's this cool podcast. He's had on all these people, blah, blah, blah. And Carrie's like, ah, fuck, I don't listen to podcasts, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's called Bikes for Death. And he's like, oh, Bikes for Death. I'm, uh, I'm going on that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> Something about the name? Yeah. He, he, well, he recognized no, the he name. No, he knew that. He, yeah. he recognized the oh. name. Oh. <gasps> so, like, yeah, and the, wow. the, the crazy part was, like, he was just randomly in a bike shop in Australia, and they were talking about my podcast. Yeah, and awesome. he just happened to be coming on, like, that – day or something they're all bad except bikes or death i'm going on that one I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> wow the, the finish to get back to the question of the finish oh. it was it because we're like for the first time we were kind of on a time schedule because we had told people who were waiting for us we'll be there at a certain time and mm. things went wrong and we were late which we hadn't experienced the feeling of being late for anything for four months <laughs> um and then, true. then when we finished, we <laughs> were so true. Yeah, <laughs> like we've been perfectly on time for 118 days. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, the finish came and went, and it was really nice to have people there. But it had been our own experience for all that time, and all of a sudden, we were sharing it with other people. So it it felt a little, it felt really happy to share it with other people, but also kind of like you wanted, like we wanted our own time there to finish it the way we wanted to finish yeah. it. Yeah, I get that. Um, yeah, they can't really relate. To what you did no. yeah <laughs> yeah I mean without, what did you oh go ahead I don't want to complain but the words that come to mind were somewhat of a letdown and the reason I bring that up is because that is the that's that's the risk associated with having expectations um, like massive expectations and the whole trip <laughs> the whole trip I had been dreaming about the finish and so when on these adventures, like Henley mentioned before, it could be detrimental to think about the finish for so long. Mm-hmm. You simply need to make what Henley said, the next best decision and take it as it comes. Be present. I know 
you know, it's you hear that a lot. It's hard to do for four months. It's yeah. hard to do. Yeah. But just yeah. for long trips like this, I don't know about, I don't know, I would, I don't know if I would have thought about the finish as much in retrospect because, you know, it was very different than what I hoped it would be. Was there a sadness to be done or was oh, it more yeah. of like a happiness to be done? What was that? Is like I, I think it was, okay, it was both. It was probably 50-50. Yeah. You know, we, not only It's a tough we, one. Yeah. It's like we're not sharing this between just each other because we're the only ones who understand. Like we've got other people, which is great, but eh. Um, and then, yeah, we were relieved. Like we don't have to run and cycle anymore. That was the best part. But everything else associated with being done we were sad about yeah. like we really missed it like you can't you can't have these opportunities again exactly the way you just experienced them so yep bittersweet done. bittersweet yeah lesson yeah. learned for the future for sure if you can what you said it's hard and it is to not think not dwell so much on the future when you're having a long trip like this and when it gets yeah. really hard because mm-hmm. it'll come sooner than you think and you're going to be Sad that it is. Yeah. When when <laughs> did y'all complete that trip? Well, November eighth in Adelaide. In twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Okay, so you're pretty fresh off. I mean, mm-hmm. we are we're three months off of that. Uh, a little two less. And a half yeah, two and, two and, and a half, half yeah. months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It could be a nice time if you want to talk about the fires because that is something definitely going on right now. And yeah, absolutely. We, we um, if y'all want to talk about that, yeah. So the last two months of our trip was spring in australia and it's the worst spring drought on record in australian history and we definitely saw what that means in australia because we were in south australia part Mm -hmm. of the country that is very dry and very few animals mostly dead animals in fact a lot of the time that last month it looked like a war zone everywhere you looked you could see a bone or carcass or something um we were told that there weren't very many animals while we were out there because of the drought and Henley talked with some cattle station owners out in the interior that what they sold off maybe 70% of their cattle or or, or all of it yeah and they're, they're just gonna support it right yeah I mean they're used no to having water. 30 to 50,000 cattle and they're just down to nothing because there's nothing to sustain animals like that yeah. over there eating kangaroo burgers which, which are, are actually pretty good, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they're really good <laughs> and there's a lot of kangaroos so yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Y'all weren't there when the fires uh, kicked off, were you? We were. You yeah, were? Yeah, we okay. were. We just happened to so be. So you were on the tail end of when it was. We were, you know. We, we were kind of on the beginning of the fires, don't you think? Yeah, beginning of the fires. Oh, wow. When, like when, in November. When we flew out of Sydney, or which. Late October. You know, several hundred miles to the east of where we finished. Even Sydney was, at that time, was having awful air quality. It looked, mm-hmm. you know, orange, hazy sky, terrible air quality um one of the places that we visited afterwards when we finish is now half of it's burned a lot of the places that we visited are are not there anymore yeah, yeah that's crazy to think yeah. about i yeah. know half the koalas on that particular in that place called kangaroo island half the koalas are gone, gone yeah. burned it's terribly sad and um you know so we were in running through and cycling through the worst drought and massive heat wave in december you know a couple days after we left this massive heat wave hit in in december and so from what i've read and understand it's like those two things combined is the root cause of some of these of of this these worst fires in australian history that you know climate is changing the environment 
we we need to be responsible about how we live our lives and Henley really has a great thing to say about what that means for when you make plans for your adventures. Yeah, I don't know. We just we we there were a couple of times in the trip where we considered getting a Ute, which is the Australian term for a truck essentially. Oh, okay. Even though we U- wouldn't utility have. vehicle. <laughs> but we were we were we were seriously considering and we just you know, we stuck with the bike and one thing that we've talked about a lot in the last month or two since we've been finishing is just choosing to make the responsible decision even when you're having an adventure because we feel like at times and we've done it ourselves when you're on an adventure sometimes you give yourself a pass and maybe you make the decision that's not it feel it's the best because it's the easiest at the moment but it's not the best in terms of the overall impact that it'll have yeah and so we've just been telling ourselves like we don't get to give ourselves a pass because it's adventure time and you're doing something already hard um and yeah uh, last night we were saying that it's, it's not really a suggestion anymore it's a like you should be doing these things it's a responsibility um, yeah yeah that's a big that's a big pro- obviously i mean that is one of the greatest problems of our of our time right now is global warming yeah i mean whether florida is sinking or whether australia is burning or yeah. whatever i mean we're in texas right now and it's what 70 degrees in yeah. january 23rd like yeah. it's everyone's like oh the weather's great and like yeah the weather shouldn't be like yeah this, th- this isn't mm. i've lived here 40 years this isn't right no <laughs> no oh. I, I think it's cool because yeah. there are people in the in the I don't know, the cycling world, for example, Cass Gilbert comes to mind. Like, he often will post things about his trash, con- or the amount of trash that he can and sometimes does produce on a bike tour. Um, mm-hmm. the, the traveling world, there's a lot of packaged goods, there's a lot yeah. of trash and waste that come along with things. And there are people who are starting to talk about it more and more and be more vocal about it. And I there's think some companies that are coming out with the uh, recyclable, disposable uh, packaging that I've heard about recyclable yeah. or compostable. I'm trying to remember. I don't want to speak out of turn, but it was one of those Whereas mm-hmm. either. I think it was, I think it was biodegradable, Yeah, but I don't, I, that's better than trash. I'll have to, right? I'll have to Google that or before something. I release this. Yeah. You know, link yeah. to it. But that, I mean, that's a good point, but the point. I think there's people that are like actively looking for ways to, uh, to f- solve that problem. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Good. And sometimes you think like, Oh, like last minute piece of gear for my trip. I have to have it too bad if it comes in, a bunch of extra packaging, but hopefully companies will start to care a bit more about that kind of stuff because people like us will want it and demand it from them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be driven by a consumer. Like, yeah. the consumer has to seek out those items and, and live intentionally Yeah. because it's all about money. We live in an economic system. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're sitting around waiting for a government to come up with a policy or for someone else to say, okay, now it's cheaper or better, easier to do it is not going to work. It's just decisions that we have to make. Our government doesn't even deliver the mail very well. I don't, <laughs> I'm not waiting for them to solve global warming either. Yeah. You know, in Australia, it was, I mean, we only went through one other big city en route, Alice Springs. All the mail carriers that we saw were on bicycles. Yeah. And it's a, it's yeah. a sizable city, and they're all on bikes scooting around. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Henley, do you have a Instagram or a thing where how people could follow you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Henley dot Phillips, just my name with a period in the middle. Okay. H e n l e y dot Phillips. And we have at Katie Visco, and Visco. Wait, KatieVisco dot com. Yeah. So the Instagram Katie Visco, yeah. and then KatieVisco dot com. 
website. Everybody. It's me. It's me. It's me. saying my name. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all uh, coming on. That's a fascinating story. Cool. Thanks for having us. I'm Man. looking forward to watching your next adventures. And, cool. and I want to see a uh, relationship book on uh-huh. how to be an adventurous couple. Ooh. All right, let's write it. There yeah. you go. Do you think there's a like a desire to read that? I don't know, man. I feel like it's a question I get a lot because uh-huh. uh, you yeah. know my wife and I both do stuff like this, huh. and I I think that people, yeah, it's uh-huh. like I think when you go on trips like that, it can either make you or break you, and <laughs> that's if, really if you're having a, a success, like your perspective was really interesting, right? So like if you take your success and be like this is how we do it you mm-hmm. know and this is how we support each other i mean i don't i don't know i think it'd be cool maybe a video or something but yeah, yeah. i definitely think that there's people out there that want to recreate with their partner mm-hmm. and maybe struggle for whatever reason it could be mm-hmm. difference in ability or yeah. you know all kinds of things and <laughs> so getting on the same page with someone is is actually hard to do you know it's like if you're going to do like a, a long trip you know any kind of right, running biking whatever um it's usually about self-care and like just like you only yeah. have to worry about yourself but when there's somebody else there that's a whole nother dynamic you got to worry about their emotions their health their logistics uh-huh. like, so yeah i think i think just spitballing their next calling, Henley. Next calling. Marriage Self, counseling. Self-help marriage, <laughs> marriage counseling. counseling. Author. <laughs> For adventures We'll just couples. get more. You know, it's all about getting people to recreate, you know, yeah. inspiring people to get out there. And y'all obviously are able to do it and have been doing it for a while. And if you think about it, there aren't a lot of couples that do stuff really together. It's like you might both be cyclists, mm. but like one is doing their own thing and the other one is doing it. But to actually mm. do it like together... Yeah, I don't know. Huh. It's definitely wow. probably a little unique, I think. Cool. Interesting. You didn't even know that. Maybe I'll scrap really graduate did. school and I'll become a <laughs> self-help yeah. Yeah. marriage counselor I'll author. I'll be your first student. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> as long as you wear those braids that yeah. you're currently yeah. wearing, Henley. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Henley's got the long hair and Katie's got the short hair. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, opposites. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Katie's got the long beard. I've got the short beard. What? <laughs> All right, that's a perfect way to stop it. Nobody's cool. supposed to know that. I should release like a short clip of how bad that audio was before Douglas fixed it. It's amazing. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed that. Great conversation. Great couple. I learned a lot and uh, yeah, just had fun talking to them. They're cool people. One note, uh, just a reminder that uh, June 6th is Arkansas High Country Race. Uh, registration is open now. They still have spots left. I'm going to be there uh, at the start. Uh, going to be there for a little kickoff party, send-off party, doing some podcasts. And I just found out last night that I'm also going to host like a Q&A panel discussion. Uh, they're expecting like three, five, three to 500 people are going to show up. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I uh, I think I prefer being in my garage with my microphone. Uh, so on stage with a bunch of eyeballs and stuff could get weird. That might be the worth the price of a mission right there just to see if I crash and burn uh, in front of a bunch of people. So, you know, whatever. Uh, you can you can come and watch me crash or burn. Um, and you can also come and ride your damn bike. Uh, so if you want to register, um, head over to Facebook and they got a link in their Facebook profile. Just go to the Arkansas high country race and I will see you there. Hopefully that's it. People don't forget to support the show. If you love it, head over to bikesordeath.com. 
I'm going to be releasing another Shifting Gears episode like today or tomorrow. I'm going to be dropping those on the regular. Uh, unedited, raw, unfiltered, maybe not your cup of tea, uh, but heck, what are you going to do? All right, everybody, have a good one. It's beautiful outside, and even if it isn't, go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes.